How do our food stories change during wartime? John E. Bistrica, Private First Class. Our veterans share where they fought, who they fed, how they ate, and what they missed. The military had powdered eggs, and I hated those powdered eggs. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Join us in service, Stories of Hunger and War, on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started feeding them. That's the first thing we did. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. Well, that was quite a morning, wasn't it? We just wrapped up our conversation with the one, the only, the icon, Ms. Dionne von Furstenberg, or as her children call her, DVF. And as her grandchildren call her, Madam. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we should uh, add that she was kind enough to let us interview her at her amazing office Cum store, cum home. Cum everything, or should we say her atelier? Uh, It was really a very cool space. Lots of colors. Patterns. Patterns and animal prints and everything you would imagine, Dion von Furstenberg. A statue from the King of Bhutan, I think she mentioned. Yes, yes. So, yes, this little thing from the King of Bhutan. I have one of those, actually, in my powder room. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But anyway, she really is quite an amazing woman. Her life is like something out of a fairy tale. Before she turned 30, and I remember this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm old enough to. You were four She had at married the time, a prince, yeah. started a fashion line, and was on the cover of Newsweek with that really famous style that put her on the map. That would be the wrap dress. That's right. And uh, a fun fact, it was inspired by the wrap tops that ballerinas were in rehearsal. And another fun fact I learned preparing for this interview was that it was designed for women to make a quick getaway if they were with a guy they didn't really want to wake up, if you know what I'm saying, an alternative oh, wow. to the walk of shame. I thought it was designed so that women could get the dress off quickly, but that <laughs> that may be wrong. Anyway, <laughs> it's sort of the, the clothing alternative to coyote love, which means <laughs> biting off your arm so you don't have to wake up the person with whom you slept. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> I read that Dion sold five million of these dresses by the mid-1970s. And like most people who've had long and public careers, Dion has faced her share of challenges too. Cancer, divorce, business challenges. So somebody needs to make a biopic of her life already, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Well, she did have her own reality show on E! a few years back called House of DVF. But she's an incredible woman. She's also... Very outspoken, and she's all about, at age 71, inspiring other women. Which reminds me, Brian, this is the last episode, Sniff Sniff, of our Wonder Women series. I couldn't think of anyone more fitting to wrap it up. Oh, I said a double entendre. It is a double entendre. Anyway, we spoke to Dion about the event she's throwing in honor of International Women's Day. We talked to her about her marriage to Barry Diller. Her mother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and how she really infused her with this desire to succeed in many ways. And And to be independent. She had lots of advice for young women and young men. She's really an extraordinary person. Remarkable. And the fact uh, that she is aging naturally and beautifully, I might add. We're saying Dion, by the way, because that was one of the first questions I asked. Is it Diane, Dion? She answers to both. So she told me that Dion was her given name, so we decided to dutifully call her Dion. I should tell you, Katie, I'm actually Brian. 
<laughs> Duly noted, Brian. <laughs> anyway, here's our conversation with Dion von Furstenberg. My name is really Diane. I was born Diane. So my mother, my husband, they call me Diane, but my children call me DVF, so it's whatever you want. <laughs> well, I think we'll call you Dion because that was your given name. Uh, and, exactly. Um, and I like when people get my name right, too. So, Hattie, right? Yes. <laughs> so here, Brian and I are here at the epicenter of DVF land. This is your office. This is your store. And this is your home. Well, it's it, my, my real home is in Connecticut, but this is where I camp out when I'm here. When you're in New York. Yeah. So tell me what it's like to be in this space right now at this point in your life with the world oh my going God. as it is. The, the, how it is it? Well, it's, it's so many things at the same time because, you know, there's such a disruption in the world such a disruption in the world, and therefore there's such a disruption in every industry. And so as the chairman of the CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Design of America, I have to advise all my fellow designers and help them to navigate the tsunami of all these changes. And and it's very difficult. So my advice, usually before Fashion Week, I email everybody to wish them good luck. And this year when I emailed them, I said, you know, at this moment of disruption, it's my biggest advice to you is to be yourself and to stand for who you are and who your brand stands for. And don't look so much left and right and do what is right for you. Because at the end, is that authenticity that will last. What do you see as the biggest challenges that the fashion industry and really all businesses are facing? You mentioned the word disruption, but when you use that word, Dion, what do you mean exactly? Well, everything is changing. I mean, you know, you just have to make sure that you are true to who you yourself are. So us, I mean, DVF as a brand that is now 45 years old. I mean, that's a long time. It is a global brand. Uh, so it's time to take a, a major x-ray of who you are and what you stand for. So I've gone through this exercise so that I can change the business model or alter the business model in order to be ready for this new world, you know, so you have to analyze yourself. So DVF is what? Well, we have an iconic product, the wrap dress that has lived for years and years and years and years and decades and so Which on. Which Katie so, is wearing right now. I mean, and, <laughs> and that is like big deal that it has existed and survived for so many generations. We have a vocabulary of colors and prints. But then at the end, we also have, which is probably the most distinguishable thing, is that we have a um, marketing people call it a love brand because we have a connection. Women have a connection, an emotional connection with the brand and with the story. And in some cases with me personally, or at least for what I symbolize. I was going to say, I think so many people associate you, Dion, with the brand and also the brand standing for something beyond a wrap dress or beyond colorful prints. But 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 I am 71 years old, you know, so 
I am aging. So how do you deal with the present? You know, and that's why now I had the creative director, Nathan Jenden, who was with me for the best 10 years of the second generation. He's back. And so something came from the past, and I'm very excited about it. And so I wanted something for the future. So the, our muse is now my granddaughter, who is almost 19 and who is in college. And that that is the continuity of it all. Can I ask you about that? P- people hear about this term, amuse, in the fashion industry. What does that actually mean? Well, it's it's a face. It's the face of the brand. You know, I, I was the face of the brand for so long. At some point, you know, it's so... Thank God I have a lot of old pictures. And, uh, <laughs> and the muse is, you know, is, is the woman. Who is the DVF woman, right? If you have to say. So I kept on saying, who is the DVF The truth is, DVF woman is the woman in charge. She's in charge of her life, or at least she feels in charge. She wants to be in charge. She wants to be responsible for herself. And DVF, the brand, is supposed to give her the tools in order for her to be the woman she wants to be. I want to talk more about the business, but we also, you have such a fascinating life story, Dion, that some people know, some people don't know that well. Let's start at the beginning with your mom, who was a Holocaust survivor. And who was told, I guess she weighed very little when she was released. Yes, my mother was my mother was twenty-two uh, when she was living in occupied Belgium. And uh, she was arrested. She was arrested. She was twenty-two. She was arrested because she was doing resistance and she was found in a resistance house. And she was very scared that she was going to be tortured in order to reveal the name of her bosses and things like that. So she said, no, 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 I'm just hiding here because I'm Jewish. Now, she was Jewish, but she wasn't really hiding. She was working. But that's And the woman who interrogated her said, you shouldn't say that because you're going to be shipped away. But she did. And so she was shipped away. And she was shipped away in those terrible cattle uh, convoys where for four days until they got to Auschwitz. And uh, and uh, she was there. I mean, she was lucky that she was young and strong and therefore she was not killed and she was put in a um, working camp. She was working in a bullet factory. And then, uh, then they were shipped to another camp because they were losing the war and then another camp. And when she finally was... Uh, found by the Americans, she was 49 pounds, and uh, which is less than her bones should be. And uh, but it's very funny because now I have all the documents. You know, the Holocaust Museum sent me all these documents, and in the documents that when she was found, she wrote, you know, she had to fill name, last name, where she came from, and state of health. And even though she couldn't move, she wrote excellent health, <laughs> which you know is why she was survive. Right. And uh, so and she, my mother used to say to me always, uh, God saved me so that I can give you life because I was born after. She and was she told s- she would never, she couldn't get pregnant for quite a while and she right. got pregnant and she almost got right pregnant away. And she said the child wouldn't be normal. And indeed, I was not normal. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and she said, so God saved me so that I can give you life. And by giving you life, you gave me my life back. You are my torch of freedom. So it's wonderful to have a mother to that tells you that you are a torch of freedom, but it's a very heavy burden. But I'm glad I had that burden, and, and I was going to ask, and I honored that burden. How how, how did that 
infuse you, both through nature, because of her incredible spirit and resilience, but also through nurture, because these experiences obviously shaped her for the rest of her life. But and she, was a, ta- she was a tiger mom. You know, she was tough. If I was afraid of the dark, she would close me in the closet. I mean, she'd probably get arrested today. And but, but but after 10 minutes, when you're in the dark closet, first of all, it doesn't stay dark. You always have a little bit of light that shows up. And second of all, you know, well, why am I afraid of the dark? Of the dark? So... You know, it was tough to be her daughter because she was tough and she wanted me to be independent and she didn't want me to be needy and she didn't want me to be afraid and she wanted to equip me for everything that I could possibly happen to me. But I'm thankful for it and that's why very early in life I decided, you know, the only way I can deal with everything is to be in charge of my life. And so what lessons do you think privileged kids today ought to take from your upbringing that, you know, often you hear about helicopter parents and parents who coddle their kids and prevent them from taking unnecessary risks. That was not your childhood at all. And it taught you to be independent. Well, I think that those are not good parents. I mean, is people who say constantly, be careful and don't do, I mean, the the, the, what you want most for your children is to be independent because there's no way you can predict what can happen. You can lose everything. You can lose your wealth. You can lose your parents. You can lose your health, but you never lose your character. And character building and making your children independent is the best and the only thing a parent should do. And your mother taught you independence in more than one way. She left your father, which was a a rare thing to do in that time. She left my father after 16 years, yes. And And you supported her. Yeah, I did. (laughs) And that story's in the book, The Woman I I Wanted to Be. And yet I father. I mean, I love my father, but I supported her. Yes, I did. And she always supported me, too. I mean, you know, she never told me, oh, don't do this, or it's dangerous. She was, uh, she was something, my mother. I mean... um, I mean, but of course, it's very heavy. And while she was alive, you know, she would always give advice to everybody. All my friends would come for her advice, and that would so annoy me. And now (laughs) I do the same hundred times worse. (laughs) I was going to say that story and much more is in your book, The Woman I Wanted to Be, which was fantastic. Which you wrote in 2014. Yeah. And uh, but, But talk about sort of this privileged upbringing you had, too, Dion, because... Uh, you know, obviously you were a person of means. Well, once, I, and probably not as a child, but once you got married. No, and I, w- I was privileged as a child. I mean, I have loving parents and my my father was well off. So I was privileged in, in that sense. I lived in Belgium and it rained all the time and I had curly hair and and I looked like so different than all my schoolmates and whatever. And uh, and then I thought nothing would ever happen to me. My mother sent me to boarding school in Switzerland and then in England, and I'm so thankful that she did that because for me it was beginning my own life where I started to socialize and to meet people, you know, out of my own surroundings. And uh, eventually I went to school, university in in Switzerland. I met this very handsome, good-looking, rich prince, Egon, who was my boyfriend. He eventually 
became the my husband and the father of my children. So I, through him, I I discovered a world that I did not know, the, the jet set, so to see. Did you feel comfortable in that world? Because I would feel intimidated. Well, I was intimidated at first, but I, you know, obviously I would never show it. And, you know, and at first I said, how do everybody know everybody? And how does it happen? And, and they speak, you know, five languages at the same time and this and that and so on. And then all of a sudden you're part of it and, you know, you don't, you, you find it normal. Uh, but that wasn't enough for me, so to speak. I didn't want to just be an idle Park Avenue princess. I always wanted to work. And I must say that Aegon always pushed me and encouraged me to do that. And uh, I started to work even before I was married because I worked for this Italian man who had a factory and who taught me everything about printing and, and Jersey. And uh, and so I may, by the time I came to New York with my as a young bride and pregnant, I already had with me a suitcase full of samples, and that was the beginning of my career. I love your advice to women because it's the same thing that I tell young women, including my two daughters, about How being old are they now? 26 and 22. My God! Yeah. I remember I know. them when they were young. <laughs> I know. They're grown-up women now, and I've always felt very strongly that women should not only, as you do, Dion, be engaged in the world, but also be financially independent. Because well, you never know what is coming around the listen, corner. Listen, you, you can't be independent unless you can pay your bills. You well, know? that's what I, I mean. mean. There's no way. Uh, that's, the, that's the first thing. That's the Why first do you thing. think it's so important? What it, Was it your mother who, who taught you that? Yeah, my mother. Uh, my mother never worked because she really didn't have the health to, to work. She really, I mean, she was really damaged after the war. Uh, but she had the brains. She she was a force. And she always told me that you had to be in a band. But she didn't have to tell me, really. I mean, she, I wasn't going to be anybody's whatever. I just had to, I, I just had to be. And that's my big advice. My number one advice to Anyone, anyone, child, man, woman, whoever, is the most important relationship in life is the one you have with yourself. And if you have that, any other relationship is a plus and not a must. And to be needy is a very unattractive condition. I agree. But you know, the thing is, I know you feel that way, but you also, through the years, have been racked with self-doubt insecurity. I know that you called, there's a passage in your book where you talk about calling Anna Wintour, I believe. No, no, she was having lunch, breakfast like that. She was in where you are sitting now. And it was the morning. And I said, Anna, do you ever feel like a loser? And she said, all the time. I mean, most people, only only real losers don't feel like losers, you know? I like I mean, that I mean, I'm going to put that on a pillow. <laughs> only real losers don't I feel mean, like losers. I saw somebody was interviewing you, and you asked the interviewer, don't you ever get up sometimes in the morning and feel like a loser? And the interviewer said, no, never. And you were sort of shocked. And oh, you said, yeah. oh, I get up and feel like a loser all the time. I feel like a loser all the time. Yeah. Do you feel like a loser? Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> but well, in my case, it's true. No, no. But, but, you know, so the, the word loser is a very unattractive word, actually. But but the, but but the point is that you have doubts and uh, oh, a best quote and this is not my quote but I use it all the time because when you do feel like that, this is what you have to speak out, out loud to yourself and you say, when you doubt your power, 
you give power to your doubts. That's pretty That's good. That's a very good one. Who said that? I think it's Voltaire, but I'm not completely sure. Ah, uh, Balzac? Balzac. Uh, we'll say it's DBF. <laughs> we'll be back soon with DBF, right after we hear from some of our sponsors. What's your middle name? Mac, BMG. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. BMG and KAC will be back soon with DVF. This season, Crate and Barrel wants you to play matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match with your gifts, that is. Good design becomes great design when it's in the hands of the right person. No more random gifts. These are matches just waiting to be made. The host you know with the most... There's a platter designed for them. Someone else on your list into entertaining? We've got glasses for that. There's even a set of spoons perfectly crafted for your next dinner date. Match them up with the right person and you've done something truly gifted. These gifts were designed with you and yours in mind. So find the ones that were made for each other. Crate and Barrel. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. And now back to our conversation with the one, the only, Dion von Furstenberg. We should say, by the way, that being self-reliant and independent doesn't mean, in your view, that you don't rely on other people. And you talked in the book and in other interviews about the role of your husbands and mentors throughout your life. And one of your really critical early mentors was Diana Vreeland, mm-hmm. who was a legendary editor at Vogue. Can you talk about the role she played in getting your business off the she, ground? You know, I mean, to me, Diana Vreeland, it was the most intimidating thing in the world. You know, I walked in and I was pregnant, actually. I walked into that office, the Vogue office with all the, you know, the perfume and, and the clothes and all of that. And I emptied my suitcase and I put the clothes on the rack. And then all of a sudden walks this woman, you know, with a long cigarette holder and black hair and red nail polish and red mouth. And first thing she said is, uh, chin up, up, up. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> this is not going well. Anyway, and uh, and she received me, and she said, ooh, it's wonderful. And before I knew, I was out the door with the clothes on the floor, and what has happened to me? And her assistant said, I think she liked it. I think she'll help you. And I said, well, what do I do now? And the assistant, Keisha Keeble, 
actually is the one who actually told me what to do. She said, you know, soon it's going to be market week. You should take a hotel room. But what hotel? Well, maybe if you take it in that hotel, that's where the California people come. And so they will, you will have traffic. And then you should try to get a little story in Women's Wear Daily. And you should do this and you should do that. And then I did it all. And that was, and indeed, Diana Breland helped me. She photographed my clothes in Vogue. And I was off. Which proves my adage that no one is more important than the assistant. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's right. True. It's Always true. be nice to the assistant. No, it's yeah. true. It's Well, it's really important just as a human being, but also they are often the hold the well, keys to key the castle. Well, my key is that you should pay attention to everybody. <laughs> I agree. I mean, be, because paying attention is a secret in life. Just paying attention to who and what and how and, and talk to people as human beings. That's my second pillow. Paying attention is the secret to life because I think you have to be as kind to the doorman or the cab driver as you are to the CEO. That is, I think, critically important. And it's also so important for your children to model that behavior because children watch and they absorb. And you have so much power on your children. I know when you actually have children, especially when your children are teenagers, you think they don't listen to you. I mean, you think you're completely, totally powerless. But if you wait long enough and you see, you watch them when they have children, all of a sudden you remember, you realize that every single thing you said they remember because they say it themselves. So you have huge power on your children. I mean, had I known I had so much of a power on my children where they were growing up, I could have probably abused them. <laughs> how, how are your children and your grandchildren? My children, I mean, that is my pride. I have the most incredible family. I have a son, a daughter, four grandchildren. No one is banal. Everyone is generous. Everyone, <laughs> banal is a kiss of death, isn't I it? I know. Then nobody is banal. Nobody is, comes out of one form, uh, but they know about generosity, and they are kind and fun and engaged, and um, each one is themselves. Is anyone bourgeois? Because you said that's no. the worst. You're no. bohemian, and you'll always be bohemian. No, I don't know, but no one is bourgeois. No, no one is banal, no. One of the things that I find so impressive among a whole list of things about you is how you have so successfully evolved through the years and changed and adapted. You're, you're rolling your eyes just a bit, but and I know there have been challenges and setbacks along the way, but I really give you so much credit for noticing trends and changing with them. And how have you done that? And why has that been so important to well, your longevity? Life is a journey, right? And it's your journey, right? And so, you know, landscape changes. It rains, it's sunny, it's desert, it's mountain. I mean, people come in, people leave. But you're always on the trip. You know, it's your trip, it's your journey. And so it's very important to pay attention and and to understand and to constantly, who am I going to be? I mean, when I turn 70, what kind of old lady am I going to be? Did that freak you out, by the way? Mm, no, it didn't freak I mean, I, I, I mean, first of all, I prepare myself years in advance. <laughs> I, I always do that. You How do know? you do that? Well, like, first of all, when I was, I thought I would never make it to be 30. Right. And I remember I had small children because by the time I had 30, my son was eight. My daughter was 
seven, so they were already there. But I remember telling them, you know, you have to take care of yourself because anything can happen. You know, I could die. And I remember they looked at me and they were crying and said, I don't intend to, but it's a possibility. And so you have to be in charge of your life. So I always prepare me, oh, and then 40, and then this and that. I always prepare because probably I don't like surprises, and so I like to prepare myself. So what kind of an old lady am I going to be? You know, how do I stay relevant, you know? And so the way to stay relevant is really to help people, you know, and, 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 and what you gain when you're successful, two things happen. Once you could pay your bills and two, you have a voice. And when you have a voice, it's your duty, but it's also a huge privilege to use your voice and the voice of the people that you know who have a voice and weave this into a fabric so that you can have compassion and impact for people who have no voice. And that's and philanthropy is intimidating when you're young. I mean, I, I you know, it's like landscaping. You know, ooh, landscaping. You need an architect to tell you, can I cut that tree or can I plant this? And then you start planting and you say, you know what, I could do it. And, and philanthropy is a little bit that way. You know, I'm saying when I started the DVF award, I was so shy. I wanted to keep it so quiet because people were going to say, who is she? Why, why, why does she feel entitled to create an award? But you, you are, you create an award because you can give exposure and money to people, to women who do things and therefore you encourage them. Now it's going to be next, uh, April is in April 13 is going to be our ninth award ceremony, which means that the year after, it'll be 10 years. And so if I look back, I've given over $5 million to all these different women. They are now part of my family. I know them. I keep in touch with them. Uh, some we discovered, and then they became, you know, they got more awards and more awards. And you turn around, you say, wow, you know, I've done something. So, I mean, at first, when you try something, you think it's so meaningless and so small and this, but you pile it up. And that's what life is about. And that's why I don't understand people who refuse their age. I mean, how can I pretend that I am not my age when I've lived so fully I should be twice my age? You know, so... Whatever. One of the other things you've learned over the course of your life is how to cope with adversity and setbacks. As Katie mentioned, uh, the iconic wrap dress was hugely popular, and then it wasn't. And then you helped to make it come back. Can you describe a little bit? But there bit? was a rough period in, in the middle of those two things where the business was really in tatters. You moved to Paris. And I know that you had some self-doubts at that point that we had this big interview together. When was That's that? right, in 2003. Was oh, was it 2003? Yeah, I just actually posted a picture of us. Yeah. You look much better than I did. <laughs> no. It was an unfortunate bang I had, period for I, me where I, I, I had, tried to put No, no, I had a purple uh, shirt on. Uh, you, you looked great, and I it was know, really fun. I don't fun. think so. My hair was very straight. I don't like it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, neither of us is pleased, but we both like how we I look I think today. you both look great. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, I, I think to Brian's point, you have had ups and downs. And but sort everybody of, has No, I know, I know. But I think for you, just powered through all the time, which but people But, you know, also don't. you have to understand that sometimes people think you are the peak 
And you yourself know you're not. You know, when I was like on the cover of Newsweek and that. You were 29. I I was 29, but I was terrified because I knew that I was going through a difficult thing. And some other times when people think, oh, she's a has-been and blah, 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 you already know that you're doing them. So you can only. You have to kind of shut the noise out, don't you? You just have to do, again, you, you drive your own car. The one thing you have to be is try to be true to yourself as much as possible. Because if you make a mistake because somebody told you to do that, you will never forgive yourself. If you make a mistake because you believed in it, then it's okay because you were true to you. Fashion, though, is so capricious, and the business is doing better than ever right now, isn't it? Well, right now is a moment that, in a weird way, I'm shrinking the company in order to change a little bit the business model so that it can grow for the for after me. How do you change the business well, model? Well, it's a lot, of course, you know, everything is changed because of the digital world, you right. know, because uh, of buying online. So a lot of effort go onto your website because, you know, so so it's a lot it, directly to the consumer. Do you, you think brick, brick and mortar stores will always exist, though? I was talking to someone who knows a lot about these things, and because of the communal experience, because people want to socialize, they want to actually it's, touch things. It's it's both. You know, the people who started all the big, you know, startups that started online, then I'm doing brick and mortar. But it has to be about the experience. It's very, there's a lot of things that are different. It's the same, but you just have to wear different lenses and look at it a different way. You have to calibrate things, yeah. don't you, constantly, yeah. because things are changing every single day, and it seems to me. faster and faster and faster, you know. So, Dion, we've got a question for you from one of our listeners about clothing design and functionality. Can we play that? This is Brianna from Brooklyn. I just wanted to pose a question to Diane von Kirstenberg. Since she is such a proponent of comfortable fashion for women as a way to gain confidence in yourself, why does she think so few other designers seem to care about that? I'm thinking about zippers at the back and buttons in places that we can't possibly reach. We never have functional pockets on our clothing. So why does she think that so few other designers are thinking about the practical aspects of a woman's life. Thanks. Bye. You know, the French designer Christian Lacroix once told me that men men designer make costume and women designer make clothes. And <laughs> it has some value. I mean, a woman, uh, and that's why even male designers have women's muses or women's assistant because a woman knows what is important. For example, the fabric jersey is something that is, I mean, if you look at a piece of jersey and you look at a piece of satin silk, of course, this satin silk is more beautiful, but women know that the comfort of jersey. So jersey fabric, for example, has always been used by all women designers from Coco Chanel to Donna Karen to Norma Kamali to Diane von Furstenberg, you know, so fashion design is, is not art. Design it deals with function. So I think women, women designers understand function better. Can you talk about, and then we'll transition, uh, Dion, to International Women's Day and all that and what you're doing here, but mentoring has become so important to you. 
And I think, I know, I would like to mentor more. I try to. But what makes a good mentor? Everyone says it's important, but how do you do it? What are some of the practical steps? I don't know. I think uh, you don't. You don't know who t- will turn up to be m- your mentor. You really don't. I mean, in, in some cases you do. People say, "Oh, I'm going to mentor you," and I. But how do you mentor others now? But first of all, you. In my case, I I really, you 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 just give advice without. I mean, you know, you don't want to patronize either. I mean, nothing is, I mean, I or condescend or any of that. Mentoring is just giving people advice, you know, introducing somebody to somebody else. I mean, today through the emails, I have a, a game I play with myself that my first two emails every day is something that doesn't benefit me. I love that. You know, and that, and it's so easy. I can introduce somebody to you without speaking, without leaving a message, and I can change that person's life. You know, that is so incredible. And that's the chain of love, and you do that. And then, funny, funnily enough, two, you know, half an hour later, you may need that person that you just did a favor to. I mean, that is what the but be- that's not what motivates you, which I think is so no. wonderful. It's like has nothing to do with you. No, won't I, be of no I, benefit. Li- I like to use my magic wand. <laughs> I see it that way. It makes me feel good. And uh, and I use it more and more. And as I get older and older, it's it's more and more effective because I know more people and I have gained more legitimacy. And therefore, people take my word for value. And so if I introduce somebody to somebody, they will pay attention and blah, blah, blah. Hold that thought. It's time for another quick break. We'll be back with more DVF right after this. Thanks so much to our listeners who called in with their thoughts, as always. Drew from Indianapolis wins the award for our most enthusiastic caller of the week. Let's hear what he had to say. Oh, my gosh. Hi. I love you, Katie, and I love Brian, too. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about the Wonder Woman series, and I just would die for more of your interview with um, with Kara. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I love Kara Swisher so much. I love Recode. I love her, and I love you, and it was just such a wonderful, like, only in the mind. Um, and I'm so excited about your Diane von Furstenberg interview, and I have so many questions for her. Thank you so much. I love Diane von Furstenberg. I love you, Katie. I love you, Brian. I love Kara Swisher. I love your podcast. It is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> All I have to say is, oh, my gosh, Drew, I love you, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have what Drew's having. (laughs) Drew, by the way, also had some great questions for Dion, which we are going to use for this very episode. So, Drew, thank you for your compliments, and thank you for your great questions as well. Remember, we'd always love to hear from you, good, bad, or indifferent. Actually, if it's indifferent, it's probably a waste of all of our time. But (laughs) give us a call on our voicemail line at 929-224-4637. You may just hear yourself on our show. And you don't have to be quite as enthusiastic as Drew. (laughs) But we like it if you (laughs) are. But we love Drew. So I want to call your attention, everyone, to another podcast you might enjoy. It's called Recode Decode. It's hosted by one of our Wonder Women, Kara Swisher, On Recode Decode, Kara talks to key players in tech and media about how they're changing the world. So whether you're a student, an entrepreneur, a CEO, or just an interested consumer who wants to know what's going on in the world, you should understand how that change will affect 
everything. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. You can find it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the one, the only, Dion von Furstenberg. So this podcast is going to air on International Women's Day, and you're hosting a, a four-day event mm-hmm. uh, here for that occasion. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to and why? Well, I always, I mean, as a European, I always uh, celebrated International Women's Day, even before, I, I remember 10 years ago, almost no one in America celebrated that. So I always have celebrated that. So this time we decided that we were going to do it, not just a one-day event, but it's actually a five days event and create panels and, you know, and make it a, a celebratory, but also networking. That's great. You know, part of the DVF award is one award that is people's voice. So people, everybody can vote. And the reason that I did that is that I therefore can have, even though I will only have one winner, I can expose four. So I can expose four uh, people who are doing great works. So exposure is really part of what you can give them. You give them money, but exposure is too. And then they get more and then, support. And then they get more support. So the four people that you can vote from is, and you can go on dvfawards.com and you can vote. And please, I encourage everybody to vote because your vote is important. So the nominees are Aaron Luz Cutraro of She Should Run. And it's an organization that is nonpartisan that helps women to run for office. The second award is Luma Mufle of Fuji's Family. This is a nonprofit organization that uses the power of soccer, education, and community to empower refugee children to successfully integrate in the U.S. The third people to vote for is Laura Hackney and Jessica Hubley from Annie Cannons, a non-governmental organization working to transform survivors of human trafficking into software professionals. Human trafficking is so horrible, and it is everywhere. And it doesn't and to, get much attention, even it though there's get so much, much great and, work and, and being done. And if you can change that, that is a very, very big thing. And the last but not least is Georgie Smith, who has created a sense of home which is a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles that is dedicated to create homes, community, and a new beginning for foster youth after exiting the foster care. It's which an is amazing the, organization. So I know an that amazing, place. Yeah. So all of those four are very important. So please go on dvfaward.com and People's Voice and look at it know about it, vote for it, tell your friend to vote for it, and and then get involved if you want to. Even just highlighting these four individuals and the great work they're doing is giving them a much higher profile. I feel bad because I would like to vote for all of them. I know. Because, but, you know, honestly, know. they're all doing extraordinary, extraordinary work. Extraordinary. But by the way, by giving them exposure, then, you know, maybe they'll be next time on the CNN hero, on this one, on that one. That's, that's what we do. And that's and and we all like a family, so please vote. 
And, you know, what's your reaction to this Me Too moment, to Time's Up in Hollywood, to this whole movement to overcome sexual assault and harassment? Um, There was a quote you gave, I'm sorry to interrupt you, I was going to say there was a quote you gave that struck me where you said, a lot of men, including my husband, say, oh, but men won't be able to flirt. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, where I grew up, part of a generation that you just assume that if you were a woman, you had your periods every month and you constantly would get groped. That's it. That's just part of... As sure as the uh, monthly cycle. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just part of being a woman. And so you manage yourself and you did the best you can and you defended yourself and as I did and whatever. And... And, and and you never even mention the stories to anyone because what's the point, you know? But I was also lucky in the sense that I only had three bosses before I was I started my own business. And sure indeed, they all tried to seduce me and some in a more cavalier way than others. But very quickly I was my own boss. So I never dealt with the pressure of being in a job that I liked, that I was good at, that I, I had to pay my my bills, I have children at home, and I was afraid my uh, boss would harass me and I couldn't say anything because if I said anything, they would say that I'm complaining. So I never really... So I think that what has happened is great. Does it have collateral damage? Yes. Do people come out and say things that weren't... For sure. But if you compare the collateral damage to the amount of harassment that has been, it's nothing. And I think that now, you know, the genie came out of the of the bottle and it's not going back. And I think that it is very important and I'm all for it. And I think that, but again, you know, we have to be careful. Like my husband actually gets offended when I wear this shirt in charge, you know, and yet he's so understanding and completely supportive and he's never made me feel small and everything. But he said, you should say in charge and vulnerable. I said, no, I don't want to say (laughs) in charge and vulnerable. That's so funny. I know. Why? Because, because it is, because they, it's an adjustment and they take it in an aggressive way. And by the way, being in charge doesn't mean that you know, I'm constantly in the driving scene. Being in charge is being in charge of your vulnerability as well. It's just, you know, just make sure that you are in charge of you. When you think about change, though, and this is something that I think a lot about, in addition to awareness, in addition to speaking out, what positive policy changes? What positive changes can come from this movement that will actually really well, a, more a, change equi- the equation? Equality first. And more, more... But how do you achieve that, I guess? More women in office, for sure. More women in leadership roles? Yes, yes. And more, and equal pay. And just equality, you know. The problem is women are stronger, so we have to... Sorry, Brian. It's true. <laughs> and, hey, I you know, believe it. So when we become equal, you know, it's, it's, it, we just have to make sure that, you know, we... I mean, men just say, okay, maybe we should do uh, honor men, you know? I mean, they, it's very threatening. 
uh, to men now what I is worry happening. too because I had someone say to me her husband she's a doctor her husband's a very successful businessman and she said my husband told me he will never mentor a young woman again and that just broke my heart because now there's so much concern yes but but I know but there, that is part of the collateral damage, you know. I mean, it and it and, may be and a short-term say, response. Oh, maybe on the business woman, on the business trip, we don't take the women. But that's why we need women in management because then it's their decision. You mentioned Barry, and I just have to ask you about him. You all have been married since 2001, and I didn't realize until I reread the book that you all actually knew each other in your early 30s. Oh, we fell in love. I wasn't 30 yet. You were was, in your late 20s. I was he was 33, and I think. he was 32, yeah. 32. And, oh, no, 33. And, uh, yes, we fell in love, and very much so. And we stayed together for five years, and then I left. And But we stayed always very close. And somehow we knew we would end up together. We always knew that. And what is it about him? You, you dedicate this book to him for protecting all of you, you know, your children and the people you love, and, and what is it about this relationship that makes it work so well? Listen, it's very mysterious. Relationships are so mysterious. Barry was first my lover, then my friend, then my husband. Uh, he has filled so many roles. He's been in my life for so long. I mean, he has known my children since they were tiny. So, you know, I gave him a family uh, it's, it's, it, and now it's just so obvious, you know, now it's like 45 years that we know each other. Wow. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so, but we always knew very early in, in, in our relationship, we, he came to the country and we were driving back to New York and, uh, and Barry drives very fast and then he, he has to slow down to let this very, very old couple Across uh, the street, and they were helping each other and holding each other, and in a very weird way, both of us at the same time looked at that couple and knew that one day we would be that couple, and we both remember that image completely vividly. The only thing we disagree on, he thought he thinks it's Madison Avenue, and I know it was on Lexington Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> in your book, you wrote. His friends were incredulous. No one had known him with a woman before. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was, he was incredulous too. And <laughs> But it was real love. I mean, it was, uh, and now we know how, that it was real love. And, you know, it's only when you look back and you see, and, and this unconditional love, and it's uh, it's been amazing. I never thought that would I mean, I kind of knew we would end up together, but I didn't really know that it would be so meaningful in in in, in our lives. You said uh, recently to our old Yahoo colleague, Joe Z, that every marriage is open or should be. And I just thought about that for a second. I was like, my, my wife is not going to be thrilled with that what statement. What does it mean, open? Well, what does it mean to you? You're the one who said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I said that with my first marriage. Uh 
Yeah, I mean, maybe you were referring to your yeah, first I marriage. Yeah, I was a little defensive when I said that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but everything should be open. I mean, everything should be open. Marriage, not marriage, you, yourself, everything. I mean, I'm, I'm very transparent, and I don't lie, so as a result, I can't be blackmailable. You know? And you feel very strongly about the lying thing. That the really what? The, the lying thing. Oh, yeah. That yeah. really struck me reading I your book. I would not allow lying in, in my family. You said, I children. never, ever, ever, ever lie, ever lie. I hate lies. I don't lie. I never will lie. That was very clear. But then you become, you know, very skillful as, as you know, sometimes of how you, to say the truth. You, you never know. say a white lie? Like, you know, if somebody says, does this make me look fat? Do you say, no, it's not the dress that makes you no, look fat. I, I, it's no. you that does. No, I wouldn't say that. No, I wouldn't say That's that. That's just mean. No, That's not being no, honest. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's so inspiring to just sit here with you and I love that you embrace every age. You're my role model in really striving at every age. And here you are, 71. And when you look at the next decade, Dion, what what do you see as your goal and your passion and, and your life? Well, uh, right now I am transforming the business model of my company and so that I can put it in good hands so that it can go on its own. And I want really to focus on, on, on my voice and making a difference and helping out and, uh, and, and using, using my voice and using my experience and us- using my connections to make, to make it a better, a better world. Well, you've done that, I think, almost all your life, really. Well, you, But certainly you, you, more but in the last do, decade. You, you do more as you get older, I mean, for sure. And then and, and, and it's normal. That's what you do. Bef- because you have more experience, and actually you have more of a voice. Because when you're very young, you say, well, who am I to say that, right? I mean, now I feel like I've earned it. You know, I've earned it with years. I've, I've earned it with experience. I've learned with making mistakes and having successes. And you have nothing left to prove but everything to give. Yeah, you still have a lot to prove. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to ask the listener question before oh, we go? Oh, sure. This one, uh, young man called. He was hyperventilating, Dion, that we were talking to you. His name is Drew Shemley. He's from Indianapolis. He honestly, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. But he asked a very sort of fashion question. What does Dion think of the see now, buy now model that's popped up? He said designers traditionally show their collections before production with See now, buy now, though. The clothes are available to buy immediately after they appear on the runway. No, I think that the, I, I'm the one who raised that years ago as the head of the CFDA because with social media and with influences and all of that, it was very, very confusing for the consumer to see things out there and then to go to the shop and see something entirely different. So the gap had to... To merge, so I think it is very important that when you, I mean, for us right now as a company, we decided that we put the woman at the center of everything we do, and therefore, when we show something, we message it at the same time, and people, and it's 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 or, or it's a month later, but it's it's not so because before it was all for trade. The fashion shows used to be for trade, so you may you maybe you would only see one picture, and that was it, but. Now no, it's no longer like or that. Or you would see things six to nine months before they're yeah. available. And so, I'd be like, wait, what? There's yeah. winter so, clothes? So that's why you have to 
It's but so that, you that's, shortened that time yeah, period. Yeah, but that's all part of the you know the disruption of the digital world. So Drew, there you go. Dion answered your question. I know you're going to be very excited about Hi, that. <laughs> <laughs> and and my final question is incredibly shallow, but I love the way that you don't do stuff to your face because I watched the Oscars and I thought some of those ladies, you can't get a match near them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I look at that too. And then I say, I, I appreciate it. And what, but in a weird way, I kind of find interesting what time does to you and what time does to your face that all of a sudden you have this that you didn't have before but it's there because of, of so much expression that you had. So I know that I'm prob- people probably look at me and say, why? Why is she doing I love that? it. Can but, I just but, say I love it? But and you I, look beautiful, well, by the way. I, I don't know about that. But it's, it's just a decision and uh, whatever. But I wish more women would do this because I think what's hard for women is when they don't age naturally. Of course, in a year, I'll probably come in with... <laughs> Looking like I'm pulling five G's from a facelift. I'm kidding. I don't think so. But I don't. I think people aren't used to seeing people look natural, and so I mean, as a result, they're 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 almost conditioned Pavlovian style to see women it's with feelings. no wrinkles. It's the feelings that, that yeah, and I then find everybody them. starts to look everybody, alike. Everybody is opposed, but I don't judge, and That's everybody nice of does. You. I, I'll, you can leave that to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's okay. It's uh, listen. This is my choice, and at this point, it's, that's my choice. And 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 then and then you get to be that old, and then all of a sudden becomes interesting again. And and uh, uh, I mean, I, what I don't understand is people who say, "Oh, you don't look your age." I, I, don't tell me that. Tell me you look great for your age. That's a compliment. But you don't look your age. I am my age. I've lived every single day so fully. I deserve to be my age. I cannot, I don't want not to be my age. I just want to be the best of what I can in my age. It's so weird. I mean, when children are little, oh, you're eight years old. Great. You're going to be 10. Oh, you're 12. And then all of a sudden, you know, you stop <laughs> celebrating that you are getting older. It's 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 a very odd thing. I try to celebrate, and I try to be incredibly transparent that I'm 61 years old, and I'm okay with that. I mean, sometimes I'm like, the only thing that upsets me is that I don't want to stop, and I don't I don't want to die. Well, I mean. Uh, but if you were, we're told, going deep right now. And let me tell you something. If you somebody told me that I would never die, I think that really would confuse me. I I don't think I would like that at all. So you're I not mean, afraid I, at all of death. I wanted to be the longest away from me than possible, but I think that to know that you will die is giving more value to your life. Before we go, can I ask one thing that may be a little funny? Barbara Streisand got a lot of attention for announcing that she had cloned her dog. You also cloned your dog. Well, my husband clones his dogs. How about that? Right? Uh-huh. And, you know, who knows? I said I would joke that maybe he's cloning me. Maybe there's a 12-year-old <laughs> me somewhere. <laughs> we should all be so lucky. Dion von Furstenberg, thank you. This was so fun. Love seeing you. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Well, folks, that marks the end of our show and the finale of our Wonder Women series. It was fun, wasn't it, Brian? Yeah, only men from now on. That's that's (laughs) enough for the women. Only white men, right? Yeah, perfect. (laughs) So I really liked working on our first series for the show, and I don't think it's going to be our last. Yeah, we'd love to get ideas from other folks. What would they like to have a deep dive on? I know we're thinking about doing a series on cancer And there's so many other topics that deserve, I think, not just one podcast, but several podcasts. So we'd love to hear from you. What are you all interested in? Because we're here not only to feed our own curiosities, but also to serve you. That's right. We're here to serve you. Help us help you. And leave us a message with your ideas for new series at 929-224-4637 or comments at currickpodcast.com. By the way, we owe big thank you to Dionne von Furstenberg and her entire staff for hosting us at her beautiful office for this episode. Thanks also to Gianna Palmer, our producer, our audio engineer, Jared O'Connell, our assistant producer, Nora Ritchie. What can I say? It takes a village, people. Also, my assistant, Beth Demaz, who, I don't know, I couldn't get dressed in the morning without Beth, much less figure out how to get anywhere. Literally, Emily, people. Literally. Emily Bina over at Katie Couric Media, Allison Bresnick, who takes my Instagram stories by storm with a little help from me. If you ever wonder, though, who's holding the camera, usually it is Allison. Mark Phillips wrote our theme music, and you can find Katie on social media under Katie Couric, me on Twitter at GoldsmithB. Katie Couric and I are the show's executive producers. And don't forget to leave us your reviews on Apple Podcasts, everyone. It really does help more people to find the show, so we would appreciate a review. Five stars would be nice. Brian and I will be away next week recording some special episodes for you at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. I'm very excited. I've never been there. And while we're there, we're going to be rebroadcasting an episode of one of our favorite podcasts, director Ava DuVernay. I'm excited to see her new film, A Wrinkle in Time, which is out March 9th. And she's certainly of the moment because we talk a lot about diversity in Hollywood, about female directors, and that's getting a lot of attention these days. And she's very active in Time's Up and Me Too and all these movements that are transforming the entertainment industry. We'll be back with a fresh episode the week after next. So we'll talk to you soon, everyone. iHeartRadio brings you some of the biggest podcasts of all time, like Stuff You Should Know and Stuff You Missed in History Class, plus the hottest podcasts of the last year, like the Ron Burgundy Podcast, Disgraceland, and Monster, the Zodiac Killer. Not only does iHeartRadio produce some of the most popular podcasts in the world, but now the free iHeartRadio app is the fastest-growing app for listening to your favorite podcasts. Over 280,000 podcasts, all easy to find and free to listen to, on the app or anytime at iHeartRadio.com.